My God is real. Oh, I can't feel him in my soul. Oh, yes, God is real. He's real. He's real in my soul. In my soul, I know my God is real. Oh, he has what? And he made me whole. His love for me is just like pure gold. I know my God is real. Oh, I can't feel him in my soul. Well, I cannot tell just how you feel when Jesus washed your sin, your sins away. But since that day, yes. I, I know my God is real, oh, I can't feel his holy power, holy power, yes, God is real, he's real, he's real in my soul, in my soul, I know my God is real. Oh, he has washed and he made me whole. His love for me is just like pure gold. I know God is real. Oh, I can't feel him in my after me, new self-discipline, the discipline to do the things I don't want to do when they need to be done, even when it is painful to do them, knowing that discipline for the moment is often painful. But afterwards, but afterwards, 
the Holy Spirit produces in me love, power, and self-control. You may be seated in the presence of our God. Truly, God is good. I said God is good. Not some of the time, not most of the time, but he's a good God because he gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. He's sweeter today than he was yesterday. He'll be sweeter tomorrow than he is right now. He can't help himself. He's a God who gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Amen, amen. If you're visiting with us, no strangers in the house, just friends whom we have not met. I certainly want to concur with Brother Riley for the wonderful Vacation Bible School that we had this week. As you can see, we still have some of the decorum left over from the Vacation Bible School program. And if you missed it, you missed a treat. And I love the theme, when life's unfair, God is good. You hear that baby over there? When life is scary, when life changes, when life is sad, even when life is good, amen. You hear that baby over there? And can you imagine having as many as 40 to 70 young people? And every time we would say that, they would scream out just like that. What would they say? God is what? God is good. Amen. We are appreciative for the Rileys allowing God to use them in a mighty, mighty way. Amen. And we are thankful to God for the station leaders, the crews, the parents, and especially the children. And really, that's what it's all about. It's about highlighting, first of all, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then secondarily, it's about our children. And when we highlight our children and we make them the focus of our education program, then we are assuring ourselves that we are going to have a future. We need to invest in our children now because our children are our future. We need to train them now to be worship leaders. We need to train them now to pray publicly and privately. We need to train them now to read the scriptures. We need to train them now to serve in the worship. They have to be trained now or there will be no future. But then again, we have to instill in them a thirst, a desire to want to be a part of the church. We have to let them know that they need to have a zeal and enthusiasm for serving God that cannot be their parents' zeal but they got to get to the point where they have their own personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it behooves us to help them to develop a thirst 
a hunger, a desire for serving God and wanting to be in church. If you will, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Certainly we want to keep Brother and Sister Robinson in our prayers. And we want to keep Brother and Sister Parker in our prayers. I talk with Darlene and Brother Massey on a regular basis. We need to keep Terry in our prayers. As a matter of fact, he usually gives me his offering. And he called me last night and asked me to come by and pick up his offering. Even though he's sick and shut in, he, need, he always wants to make sure he leaves his offering with the Lord. And so, Lord willing, when service is over, we'll go by and minister to him and Darlene because they love the Lord and they love the church, and we need to keep him in our prayers. And also, let's keep Brother and Sister Wilson in our prayers. We know Brother Wilson is undergoing tests. And one thing I do not do, I do not mention uh, what members are going through. I believe that is private, that is sacred, and it is their responsibility to make that announcement unless they themselves ask me personally to make an announcement about their loved ones, I do not do it. And so I hope that we can respect the wishes of the families as well to not go onto social media and put personal business out there publicly. It is not our responsibility to do that. We are not doctors and we are not family members. We need to leave that in the hands of the family. If you will, Luke chapter 5. And I want to read from a modern English translation, and I just want to focus on verse number 4 of Luke chapter 5. Verse number 4. Let us stand for the reading of the word. Luke chapter 5, verse number 4. This is a modern English translation here. Jesus finished speaking. He said to Simon, take the boat into the deep water. If all of you would drop your nets into the water, you will catch some fish. You may be seated in the presence of our God. I want to speak as a spiritual guy with this thought in our mind going into deeper waters, going into deeper waters. By the time we get to our text, Jesus has already experienced the miraculous birth in Bethlehem. Jesus has already been visited by the Magi who brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He's already escaped Herod's wicked plot to kill him by fleeing into Egypt. He's already confounded the teachers in the temple and his parents when they found him saying, Knew ye not that I must be in my father's house? He's already received John the Baptist's testimony. When John saw him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's already been baptized by John and Jordan. He's already been confirmed by his father from on high. And when after his baptism, his father said, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. He's already been tempted 40 days and 40 nights 
in the wilderness. He's already been introduced to Peter by his brother Andrew. He's already heard Nathaniel's proclamation, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And the text says that Jesus stood beside the lake, that is the lake of Genazareth, which means the garden of the prince. Jesus has a way of making common places uncommon. For no one would have known about Nazareth if Jesus had not been born there. No one would have talked about Jordan if Jesus had not been baptized there. No one would say anything about Bethesda if Jesus had not told a lame man to take up his bed and walk. No one would know anything about Bethany if Jesus had not visited Mary, Martha, and Lazarus there. And no one would know about a lake that is called Genazareth if Jesus had not preached from a boat there. And no one would have known about Peter's fishing had Jesus not fished for his disciples there. Many people began to push to get around Jesus because they wanted to hear the message of God. Crowds followed Jesus wherever he went. But Jesus was not moved by the largeness of the crowds. For he said on one occasion in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Jesus was more moved by the size of an individual's faith than he was by the size of a crowd. Jesus saw two boats at the shore of the lake. The fishermen were washing their nets. Jesus climbed into the boat which belonged to Simon. He asked Simon to push away from the shore just a little. And Jesus, I want y'all to understand something, does not move by accident or happenstance in making his decisions and determinations. He moves by the, by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was determined before the foundation of the world that Jesus would choose Peter's boat. And just like Jesus chose Peter's boat, he chose you and I as well. We are not here by accident. We are here because when God called, we made a decision to answer. And I need to tell somebody while I'm flying over this territory, you were chosen, not accepted. Acceptance is because of something you do. Most people are accepted because they were good, because they were smart, because they were athletic, because they are cute because they are thin, because they are rich. Most of us would have missed out if that was the criteria. But I'm so thankful that we are chosen and chosenness is in spite of ourselves. 
in spite of our wickedness, in spite of our ignorance, in spite of our ugliness, in spite of our depravity, in spite of our spiritual poverty. For the Bible says, but God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. Then Jesus sat down and from the boat he continued to teach the people on the shore. Y'all missed that in those days the teacher sat while the students stood. What an experience and a joy to have Jesus aboard your ship. To have Jesus aboard your ship is to have him in your life, to have him in your home, to have him in your marriage, to have him on your job, to have him in your finances. Because when Jesus is on board, he will make a difference. If experiences played a part in the sanctification of a place, then Peter's ordinary boat became one of the most precious possessions Peter ever possessed when Jesus stepped on board. Because it was this boat that became Jesus' pulpit from which he uttered unsearchable truths. Truths that caused lives to be changed. Truths that caused dead men to walk, blind men to see, lame men to take up their beds, that caused ladies of the night to become ladies of the light, that caused persecutors to be numbered with the persecuted, that caused fishermen to become fishers of men. It was from this ordinary boat that Jesus displayed his extraordinary power. It was from this natural habitat that he demonstrated his supernatural power. It was from this humble abode that he manifested his glory. So when we peruse this pericope, I see first of all a deeper commitment produces greater opportunity for success. Write that down, a deeper commitment produces greater opportunity for success. I said a deeper commitment. Jesus finished speaking. He said to Simon, take the boat into the deep water. If all of you would drop your nets into the water, he said you will catch some fish. Peter had been fishing the night before. But after Jesus concluded his sermon to the multitude, he turned to Peter and said, take the boat into the deep water. Now Peter was a fisherman by profession. So he knew how to fish. But Jesus said, take the boat into the deeper water. Peter made a living fishing in these waters. And he knew these waters pretty well. But still Jesus said, take the boat into the deep waters. Peter had supported his family successfully for years all based on his knowledge and skill as a fisherman. But yet Jesus said, take the boat into the deep water. Peter is a fisherman. 
but he did not realize he was talking to the man who made the fish. Peter was a sailor, but he did not realize he was talking to the man who made the seas. Peter understood how to read the heavens, but he did not realize he was talking to the man who made the heavens and the earth. So Jesus said, Simon, take the boat into the deep water. If all of you would drop your nets in the water, you will catch some fish. Peter, you've been fishing in shallow waters. But if you really want to be successful in your commitment to me, you got to go into the deep water. Peter, you've been following me in a shallow manner. But if you want to know what I am and what I'm all about, you've got to go into the deeper waters. Perhaps you are ankle deep, which means you are following me, but you don't understand me. That's worshiping me out of curiosity. Perhaps you are knee deep, which means you would get on your knees and pray sometimes, but you don't expect an answer. That's worshiping without results. Perhaps you are waist deep, which means you give what you give out of habit, but you're not going to give anymore. That's worshiping out of a sense of duty. Perhaps you are chest deep, which means you have your heart on the Lord, but not your head. That's worshiping God emotionally. Perhaps you are neck deep. That means you have, he has most of you, but not all of you. And that's almost committed worship. But when you are completely submerged, that means the Lord has all of us. And that's new self-disciplined worship because that means I am totally committed to God. So he says, Peter, go deeper. Secondly, a deeper commitment produces obedience that makes a difference. I said a deeper commitment produces obedience that makes a difference. Peter had already been preaching last night. Okay, Simon answered, teacher, we worked hard all night long trying to catch fish, but we caught nothing. That was last night, but it's morning now. And Peter is out on the same lake, in the same boat, handling the same nets he had handled just last night. It was just last night that he was fishing in the same boat. It was just last night he was fishing in the same lake. It was just last night he was casting the same nets. It was just last night he was fishing in the same spot. But the results last night were futile. They were fruitless. They were vain. They were without positive results. Last night, Peter left in an empty boat and he returned in an empty boat. Last night, Peter cast an empty net into the lake and he pulled an empty net out of the lake. Last night, 
Peter departed without fish in his boat and he returned without fish in his boat. You see, some of us are living a last night experience. We living in a yesterday, living in our past disappointments, our past failures, our past shortcomings, our past mistakes. Last night, you couldn't pay your bills. Last night, your health was failing. Last night, you were about to be laid off. Last night, your husband was creeping. Last night, your wife was nagging. Last night, your marriage was about to end in divorce. Last night, you were strung out on drugs. Last night, you were tempted to take a drink, to take a smoke, to get high one more time. Last night, you were tempted to lay with that man who's not your husband or that woman who's not your wife. Last night you considered cashing it all in. Last night you failed. Last night you came up short. Last night was last night, but morning is a new day, a new opportunity, a new chance, a new dawn, a new hope. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And then thirdly, a deeper commitment means doing things I don't want to do when they need to be done. I said a deeper commitment means doing things I don't want to do when they need to be done. But you say I should lower the net into the water. So Peter said, Lord, I'll do it. Lord, I've been fishing all my life. Lord, I'm tired. I've been fishing all last night. And I know, Lord, there are no fish over there. Because this is not the time of the day to be fishing anyway. Lord, any good fisherman knows the best time to navigate these waters for fish is at night. Now, Lord, I respect you as a preacher. I mean, that is some of the best preaching I've ever heard in my life. I got to give that to you, Lord, but you are a carpenter and not a fisherman. And Lord, I don't want to take my boat out on these waters again. Not right now. But since it is you who's doing the asking, I'm going to do what I don't want to do because you said it needs to be done. Lord, I don't want to forgive this person who did me wrong, but because you said I need to, I'm going to do what I don't want to do simply because you told me to do it. Lord, I, I don't want to give 10% or more of my income to this church, but I'm going to do what I don't want to do because you say it needs to be done. Lord, I don't want to stay in this marriage any longer, but I'm going to do what I don't want to do because you said it needs to be done. Lord, I don't want to stay on this job any longer, 
but I'm going to do what I don't want to do because you said it needs to be done. Lord, I don't want to be in church three or more times a week, but I'm going to do what you say do even though I don't want to do it. Lord, I don't want to sit by so-and-so in church anymore, but Lord, I'm going to do what I don't want to do because you said it needs to be done. Lord, I don't want to work in ministry. I don't want to do evangelism. I don't want to do Bible study. I don't want to pray all the time, but I'm going to do what I don't want to do because you said it needs to be done. Lord, I don't want to go to the doctor tomorrow because I'm afraid of the doctor's report, but I'm going to do what I don't want to do because you said it needs to be done. Lord, I can't take another death in my family, another funeral in my life, but I'm going to go because you said go even though I don't want to go. Lord, I feel like giving up, but I'm going to go on even though I don't want to go on because you said I need to go on. Let me tell you something. Not only did Peter and the other fishermen obey God. The Bible says the fishermen dropped their nets into the water. They caught so many fish that their nets we're beginning to rip. They call some friends in another boat to come and help them. So not only did the fishermen obey God, but I need to tell you, even the fish obeyed the Lord. The fish also did some things they did not want to do when it needed to be done. Those fish did not want to die. Those fish did not want to be eaten. Those fish did not want to be in, any, in somebody's skillet, fried, baked, or broiled. But when Peter did the things he did not want to do when it needed to be done, God made the fish do the things they did not want to do when it needed to be done. When you practice the new self-discipline of obeying God when you don't want to, God will change your situation. He will change your circumstances to the point that not only will it glorify him, but it will benefit you. The friends came, and both boats were so filled and so full of fish that they were almost sinking. The fishermen were shocked because of the fish that they caught. God is so good that those fishermen's nets broke, and the boats almost sunk. They had so much fish, they had to call over other boats to help them bring in the load. When you practice new self-discipline, God will bless you beyond your capacity to receive it. Malachi said, bring all the tithes 
into the storehouse so that there would be food enough in my temple. If you do, God said, I will open up the windows, plural, of heaven for you to pour out a blessing singular so great that you won't have room enough to take it in. God said, try it. Let me prove it to you in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. Here's what I'm talking about. Pray for that boss who will not give you a raise. And God said, I will open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing so great you won't have room to receive it. Love that person who will not love you back. And God says, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. Do right when others do you wrong. And I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for you so great you won't be able to receive it. Give as God commands you. And he said, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room to receive it. Forgive others when they do you wrong. And I will pour out a blessing for you so great you won't be able to receive it. Delay immediate gratification. And I will open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing so great you won't be able to receive it. Practice new self-discipline in that grievous moment of your life. And he said, I will pour out a blessing for you that's so great you won't be able to receive it. And then write this down. A deeper commitment produces discipline that turns into devotion. A deeper deeper commitment produces discipline that turns into devotion. Peter responds to the miracle. Don't mind, brother. Hey, good, I got to take about five minutes of your time. Note that the fishermen were shocked because of the fish that they caught. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down in front of Jesus and said, go away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were amazed also. James and John, they were partners with Peter. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will not just be a fisherman, but I'm going to make you all fisher of men. At that moment, Peter experienced a paradigm shift. His doubt turned into discipline. His discipline turned into devotion. His worry turned into worship. His concern turned into consecration. His troubles turned into triumph. His grief turned into glory. His fear gave way to faith. His sin found salvation. His shock 
turned into sanctification. The boat became a church. His friends became followers. His bad news turned into good news. His worthlessness is giving way to greatness. His rejection is giving way to chosenness. His abandonment is giving way to atonement. And his abuse is giving way to purpose. All because he began to walk in new self-discipline. And the Bible says they left everything and turned to Jesus. What about you? Are you willing to leave everything? Man, it's cool in here. We got two units blowing now. And praise God, it's patchwork. Praise God the Brother Lindsay knew somebody who could patch it. Hallelujah. And Brother Adams had enough sense to go talk to him about it. And then it cost less than 1% of what the total cost of that unit. Now it is patchwork, temporary fix. But God, he's, he uses the temporary to set up the permanent. I mean, when they were in the wilderness, he temporarily fed them manna until they could feed themselves. He temporarily caused their clothes and their shoes not to wear out until they could make or buy some more. He temporarily gave them water from a rock until they could find water for themselves. God will help you in the temporary until you get to the point where you can handle it for yourself. And as I close in this story, I see that the net that they threw out into the water is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The boat is the old ship of Zion, the church of Christ. The water is the world, and the various fish represents various and diverse kinds of people in the world, sharks and bass and whales and octopi. And the fishermen are Christians who are trying to evangelize the world. And all that I am this morning, I'm just a fisherman in the boat trying to throw out the net so God can bring in some fish. And maybe there's a fish here this morning, somebody here this morning who needs the Lord. And we want to encourage you that if you want to go deeper in your commitment and dedication to the Lord, you need to come by faith. Believe in Jesus died for you, but he didn't stay dead. He got up early Sunday morning with all power in the palm of his hand, had a 40-day meeting with his disciples, stepped on a cloud and he was elevated back to glory where he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And then you need to be willing to repent of your sins, confess him to be the son of the living God, and then be baptized in water so you can go into deeper waters for the Lord. And when you come up out of that water, your sins will be washed away, you'll be added to the church of Christ the one you read about on the pages of inspiration. And then the Lord wants you to live a life that is committed and faithful unto him until he calls you to your heavenly reward. 
And if you're a child of God and you've been wading in shallow waters, it's time to have a deeper relationship with the Lord by disciplining yourself so you can be more committed to Jesus. If you feel subject to heaven's invitation, we want you to come as together we stand and as we sing. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace? This hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul, cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed? In the blood of the Lamb, are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed? In the blood of the Lamb, are you washed? In the blood, in the soul, cleansing blood of the Lamb, are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed? In the blood of the Lamb, lay aside the garment that stain with sin, and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the souls unclean. Oh, be washed. In the blood of the Lamb, are you washed? In the blood, in the soul, cleansing blood of the Lamb, are your garments? 